Amen. <coughs> As um, we are in James 5, we all know that Christmas decorations have been up in stores uh, for weeks, but this week it gets real, like the official holiday season is beginning, and on this side of family gatherings, we might, we're probably still all, all a little optimistic about how it's going to go, like we're going to have fun, we're going to have good food, time off together, maybe time to watch football or hunt or shop or just play games or just do nothing. And uh, it's all going to be relaxing. Maybe we'll see family we only see once a year. Maybe right now we're still excited. And so right now might be the best time for us to look at James chapter 5, verse 9. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Because at some point in the course of this week, this season, it's going to begin. Like unless you're dead, you and I are people who struggle with complaining about one another. And James addressing fellow believers, he says, brothers and sisters, don't do that. Like really? Uh, other translations, uh, James 5, 9 in the ESV, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Don't grumble. I thought grumbling was one of the spiritual gifts. Like it must be because I'm so good at it. It must be something God wants to happen. So as we've come into James 5, he began, he began by addressing the wealthy, wicked people who use their wealth for self-indulgence to oppress those who are not wealthy, their employees. And James wrote about how they will be judged and condemned for this wicked behavior. So obviously, church, don't do that. But also, church, if you're some of the ones being oppressed, he's, we saw last week, don't seek revenge, retaliation, revolution. Instead, verse 7 and 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient, strengthening your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So be patient. The Lord is coming. The judge is coming. And we walk through how to be patient in difficult circumstances that are seemingly impossible to escape. We can only endure. We can't escape. So we endure with faith and patience. And now this verse, verse 9, points us to facing the temptation to be impatient with one another. And when we're impatient with one another, we turn to grumbling and complaining about one another or even to one another about others, which is a natural byproduct of being in difficult circumstances. You're feeling pressure from the outside circumstances for whatever reason. It's really, really easy to turn to someone next to you and grumble, complain, blame, verbally injure, take it out on them because of the outside pressures you're feeling. We turn on each other. Now James, known for probably being one of the most practical books of the Bible, how to live out our faith in the everyday stuff of life, it seems like he's getting a little picky. I mean, come on, James, you really expect us not to grumble and complain, groan, sigh, express frustration? Like, like even in my tone, it sounds like I'm grumbling and complaining about what James is writing. Like, come on, dude. It feels not only impossible, but if we're honest, maybe we think, is it really necessary? Isn't this one of those optional commands of Scripture? Is there really harm, any harm in this? It seems like a victimless crime, just grumbling and complaining about one another. So let's walk through this together and first examine why is grumbling and complaining about one another so bad. It could be grumbling and complaining about one another specifically addressed in this verse, or it could be about God due to circumstances not working out how we want, when we want. 
But the grumbling and complaining person is, in, this, in the context of this entire section that we're looking at, is the impatient person. Patience, literally in the original language of the New Testament, means to suffer long. It means things aren't going the way that I think they should be going, and it's causing me to suffer. And my response isn't to escape, it isn't to revolt, it isn't revenge or retaliation. It's to continue, to continue to suffer long. This is patience. It's not indifference, so we're not talking about just not caring, apathy, which is a form of escape. I'm going to try and remove myself mentally, emotionally from the situation. Maybe I'm going to distract myself with endless scrolls through social media or streaming services. Maybe I'll even use substances to help me escape. So I'll drink too much or take meds. I'll distract myself with work or exercise or other hobbies. All escapes. I don't like the situation I'm in. I don't like the person I'm with. I'm suffering, but I don't want to suffer. And so I seek to escape. I seek to live a distracted life, a life of indifference. If I don't care, I don't really care, then I won't suffer. So it's not so bad. I might even look like someone who is patient because I'm so checked out mentally and emotionally. That's not patience. That's indifference. That's escapism. And and the grumbling for that person might be inward, unspoken. Maybe not expressed except in action or passive actions. So being patient doesn't mean you don't care. You actually do care. You're suffering because of a circumstance or because of a person. You stay engaged because you care and you continue to suffer. And you do this, James says, without grumbling or complaining. Because to grumble or complain would be evidence that you're not really being patient. But are in fact impatient. Like, I think we know this. This is what drives most of our grumbling and complaining. I I have a PhD in this. I know for a fact it's what drives my grumbling and complaining. Just ride with me in a car. And all the people who are idiots who drive around this area. Uh, There's there's incompetence everywhere. If you have any high levels of Enneagram 5 in you, you just see incompetence everywhere. No one does anything right. And the reason uh, this is so serious isn't because I may say it out loud and hurt someone's feelings, which happens does happen. Grumbling, complaining can be vocally expressed and damage relationships. Like the times you, like you can feel the thought coming to your mouth and you can see it. Like, don't say that. Don't say that. It's not necessary. It's not going to help. Don't go there. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to go there. And then it just comes out to that person that you're trying to not say that to. And now you're grumbling, complaining because you've made a bigger mess that now it's going to take longer to clean up. It's just this awful cycle that we create with our lack of patience that leads to grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining is bad because that happens. Yes, we damage relationships, but it's also bad if it stays inward and you take joy in it. Like you love to evaluate and treasure in your heart how frustrated you are with everyone else. Look at them, kind of like the Grinch looking down on Whoville. Look how happy they are. I just hate that. So we hate scroll through social media. Oh, just look at you and your perfect family taking another vacation. How many vacations is that? Let me consult my records and see. Hate watching teams that you hate, relishing in them losing and then watching their fans melt down because it brings so much delight to your heart. This kind of heart is an impatient heart. 
It's not a heart that's full of faith, but full of worry and angst and desires to just give up. Why keep trying? What's the point? Nothing's working out the way I want it to work. And in this moment of grumbling and complaining, we even can give up on God. Because he knows I'm suffering and he's not helping. Doesn't seem to care. Just lets me remain in this place of misery. I give up on this person because they're too hard. They're too messy. They're too difficult. The relationship's too difficult. They're never going to get it. So I'm out. Which doesn't mean there aren't times to break off relationships with unhealthy people. Sometimes that is necessary. But this grumbling, complaining comes long before that. When the heart is just complaining about them and anyone who's not measuring up to the standards that you've set. And this is so bad, this is so serious, James says at the end of verse 9, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. The judge is at the door. Jesus, the judge, has his hand on the doorknob. He's turning it. He's about to walk in on you, living a life of grumbling, complaining about others. And the judge will allow you what your mom told you growing up, you're pointing your finger at others and you have three fingers pointing back at you, will allow you to be measured with the same standard that you're measuring others, will allow you to be judged in the same way you're judging others. Since you're so amazing, which allows you to stand in judgment over everyone, let's assess you by your own standards. But Jared, don't you know there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? We're not going to be judged. That's talking about non-believers. When we die and go to heaven, we're just going to be hugged and given a mansion and gold streets, and we're going to have fun forever. There's not going to be any accountability for us. We're his kids. Well, James did say at the beginning of verse 9, brothers and sisters, so we know he's talking to Christians. It's interesting in the verses we looked at last week, the soon return of Jesus was given as comfort to suffering Christians. Suffering at the hands of the wicked. Don't worry, Jesus is coming soon and the wicked will have to give an account. It's not going to go well for them. But now in this verse, the soon arrival of the judge is in reference to Christians for which they too will have to give an account. So while it is true, we don't stand in judgment for God's wrath and condemnation. That is taken care of in this life. And in the, in, in the next life, in the, the final judgment, the final accounting, the great day of judgment, the white throne, all that kind of stuff, that's already been decided. It's not decided then, it's decided now in this life. So we can have the confidence in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Later in Romans 8, nothing and no one can separate us from the love we have in Christ Jesus. John 5, 24, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. You have it now begins now, and you will not come under judgment, but has, past tense, passed from death to life. So the, the security that we have is real and is good, is true. So we, we don't stand under God's wrath for those of us who are in Christ. Jesus took that in our place on the cross, but we do stand and will be assessed for how we live this life he's given us. So we don't stand and give an account under God's wrath, but we do stand and give an assessment of how we've lived this life he's given, given us. The beam of seed of judgment, 1 Corinthians 3, speaks of all of our works that will be measured as wood, hay, straw, or gold, silver, costly stones. Did we do things that made a difference in eternity? Do we lay up treasure in heaven? Do we invest in the things that last forever? 
Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you on that day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 10, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. In the very next verse, Paul talking to believers, verse 11, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Since we know the fear of the Lord, the reality that even though we are dearly loved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, we are secure in that because Jesus did everything necessary to make that possible, that is real, that is secure, that is eternal, but we will still stand alone by ourselves before our great and awesome Father in heaven, and give an account for our lives, which should cause us to have some holy, reverential, awe-inspiring fear. Like, okay, that's going to be a real deal. I don't have to worry about being sent to hell for all of eternity. I'm still in the family, but I'm going to have to speak up and say, okay, this is my life. This is what I did. This is why I did it. Some of that was good. Not all of it was good. And that should help us Wake up, sober up, be diligent, be focused, be serious about the things we should be serious about. Like don't soften these passages and just make people feel so uncomfortable where it just doesn't really matter how you live. Just make people feel comfortable uh, with however they think or feel and the attitudes of their hearts. All good. God still loves you. You do you. You just do you. It's going to be all right. This is swinging the pendulum too far. Yes. We should live secure and resting in our Father's love because it's all by His grace we are here. His work, it's His work in our salvation so He gets the glory. But that leads to a certain kind of life. Not a life of trying to work or earn or keep His love through our devotion, but a life that freely receives the gift of His grace and then freely lives, focused, sober-minded, secure, disciplined, diligent, serious, joyful, intentional, sacrificial, serving, Others focus, full of faith, trusting our Father, which creates a patient faith, patient faith-filled heart, and not an impatient, grumbling, and complaining heart. And every day, guys, we are in the lab revealing the nature and condition of our hearts. Every day. Tim Keller, quoting an old English professor of his, said, Heaven and hell are under every bush. There are eternal consequences to the choices that we make every single day, which means every day all around us we make thousands of decisions that have eternal consequences. We're not constantly confronted with that reality. It seems like most of the things we decide are so meaningless and pointless. So we're not constantly thinking about it, but it's, it's true. And a huge majority of the decisions that we make aren't what we say and what we do, but it's the attitude of our heart. It's the attitude of our hearts, the perspective of our mind, which drive everything we say and everything we do. And we, if, where we end up with our heart that drives all of that, if that heart is impatient and grumbling and complaining, then it's a sign that we're lacking faith. This is why heart attitudes are so important. It reveals where our faith is ultimately focused. 
A grumbling, complaining, impatient heart is not a heart full of faith, trusting in God to work all things out for our good and his glory. And super important, other part of that, in his time. In his time. Most famous example of grumbling, complaining uh, was directed to God after the Israelites were delivered from Egyptian slavery. Exodus 15, 16, you can read all about this. God had performed these 10 miracles, these 10 plagues, demonstrating to the Israelites and the Egyptians who is the one true most high God. It's not these pagan Egyptian gods. No, I'm the one true most high God. I even have sovereignty over life and death. So I, God does all the work. They do none of the work. They are delivered from slavery, 400 years of bondage in Egypt, heading to the Red Sea. Uh Uh-oh, the Egyptians come and catch them. We're going to kill all of you. God again delivers them miraculously through the Red Sea. And after they get through on dry ground, he then drowns all their enemies in the Red Sea, eliminating that threat. And then right after that, Moses sings this awesome song that becomes a psalm. And they go a few days, they're lacking water, and they start not praying. God, we know you have delivered us. You'll deliver us again. Please provide water. We're so thirsty. But going to Moses, grumbling and complaining. We're so thirsty. Thought you were in charge. Where's the plan for this, Moses? You're so smart. I don't know if they really said that but it probably sounded something like that. And in the very next chapter, they're grumbling and complaining again. Not trusting in faith, just griping and complaining, which was an indication of the lack of faith of this entire generation of people who would build and worship a golden calf while God was meeting with Moses on Sinai, who would believe the ten fearful spies later in Numbers 11, not wanting to take the land of promise, grumbling, complaining, revealing a heart that was lacking faith. And that's the problem with our grumbling, complaining. We're not trusting. We're not trusting God. We're not trusting who he is. I'm suffering, I guess, because I'm suffering. He doesn't really love me. Well, I know the Bible says he loves me, but it doesn't feel like he loves me because we're suffering. Or he's not really powerful enough to help. Or we say all the right things. We can pass the theological tests, but if it's accompanied by grumbling and complaining, we don't really believe what we say is true. We're not experiencing our faith. And it could be just dead, empty faith that we saw back in James 2, the faith of demons that knows the facts but doesn't live out real faith in everyday life. This is why it's so important. If we're going to be God's people who are the presence and reality of Jesus on this planet today, if it's through us that Jesus will be seen and heard, How can we be a people who grumble and gripe about God or grumble and gripe about each other? How does that demonstrate the reality of Jesus? So can we vent? Can we vent with our spouses or our close friends about the things in life that are frustrating? I mean, certainly that's safe space, right? Well, I would say as long as it's venting with faith and not just complaining that reveals a lack of faith and just starts snowballing into more grumbling, complaining, despair, sadness, anger, and more lack of faith, which is what happens, right? Like nobody feels edified after a venting session with a spouse or a close friend. But faith-filled venting, I don't know, let's call it praying. Read the Psalms. Your example of faith-filled venting, God, this hurts this is hard i'm in deep sorrow and anguish i'm drowning my couch with tears but my hope is in you i trust you nevertheless 
which is part of how we actually obey these commands and live this out. So, so grumbling, complaining are bad because they express an impatient heart, lacking faith, worthy of God's judgment because the attitude of our heart, this is where our faith is expressed and from the attitudes of our hearts, this is what drives our perspective, our emotions, our words, our actions. So how can we uh, more and more live with a patient heart of faith with God and his ways and his timing, but also with these imperfect people that are around me that frustrate me, right? And, you know, we certainly frustrate them too, I'm sure. So number one, see how patient the judge is with us, how much we receive his grace and mercy. So see how incredibly patient the judge is with you. Like, my goodness. If we judge others with grumbling, frustrated, impatient hearts, that's the measuring stick that will be used with us. But think about it. The reverse is true. If we can see how incredibly patient the Lord is with us, our wayward hearts, how much grace and mercy we have received, if we can really see it, like this is, a, this is a hard sermon for me. I battle this a lot in my heart. And I don't think I'm very different from most of the people in this room. Like our hearts are desperately wicked, impatient, lacking faith. How do we know? Because we grumble and complain so much. Mainly inwardly to ourselves about life, about others. But then sadly, the people we're closest to, it overflows onto them. And they get the, br- the brunt of it when we verbalize it. And then we're spending a lot of time in our homes doing repenting and confessing of sins, saying, I'm sorry. And yet, as horrible as we are, we're still here. <laughs> Blessed beyond we can ever possibly ask or imagine, giving so many gifts of his grace to enjoy relationships, people we love, people who love us, undeserved gifts of his grace every single day, All we deserve is death and God's wrath, yet he just keeps loving us. He keeps showing us mercy. He keeps showing us grace. I can see more of his love in my life than I see his hand of discipline. I had two conversations with two people this week who were overwhelmed with God's grace in their life and the favor of God they recently experienced. God at work in circumstances for their good, things working out beyond what they could have imagined. And for both of them, they they came to this point of saying something like, I just don't know why he does these good things in my life. And I, I talked to them both like, well, you know, it might be he really does love you a lot. It might just be that. He really is a good dad. Like we mess up constantly. We never seemingly get it right. And he's so patient and kind to help us along, to spur us on. Now, certainly we can get in places where we need a stronger hand of discipline, but even... When he does that, why does he do it? We learned in Hebrews 12. Because we are his kids and he loves us. So even the hardest things he walks us through as acts of his discipline are acts of his love and kindness. We are so sinful. He is so patient to just keep chipping away, waiting and working, molding and shaping, giving us time, space, and grace to change. And we've known this. If you grew up in church, you've known this since you were a kid. You sang about it. He who's working on, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me, right? We've received so much. 
So see that, embrace that, believe that, enjoy that, and then secondly, give that to others. Do not judge. Time is not up. God is at work in their life. See how much grace and forgiveness and mercy you've been given. Like the sinful woman in Luke 7, bathing Jesus' feet in her tears and expensive perfume, being scorned by the Pharisee Simon. If Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus tells this parable which reveals that she had been forgiven much and therefore he had much love to give. But the Pharisee didn't see his sins. Oh, he was equally as sinful. He didn't see his sins. He just saw her sins. Because he didn't see his sins, he had experienced little forgiveness, and therefore he did not have much love to give. We, like Simon the Pharisee, can be so judgmental because we evaluate someone for a second. One post on social media, and we know everything about them. Or we evaluate them only against ourselves. Look at me, look at them. Obviously, they're not as good as me. And all we see if we are, uh, uh, all we see how good we are and how they don't measure up and we don't see our own sinfulness and brokenness and we don't see God at work in them. We see their sins, but do we also see God at work, looking for evidence of his grace at work? Then we would be patient with people, not grumbling or griping about them or to them, but trusting in God with them. He is at work, he is not done. I was giving advice to a mom recently who was worried about their adult child. This work may not be done. And I was telling them, this work may not be done in your lifetime. You've taught them. You've raised them. You're continuing to teach them. Continue to try and invest in their life. This may go on for decades. You may die and go home to Jesus. And years after that, they come back to him. And there's this beautiful reunion in eternity. She died not knowing Will my daughter ever make it? Will my son ever make it? And then one day there's this reunion where they're back together again. God is always at work so we can trust him. We don't have to impatiently force our will to be done in our timing. Like, does that ever work out well? We patiently wait for the Lord to work. And this is how we can be a people that James describes in James 1. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak slow to anger for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness so homework first notice how quickly you grumble and complain about someone or something which is really grumbling and complaining about God allowing this circumstance in your life now for some of you it will be as you walk out to your car for everyone else it will be as you drive home but notice okay just notice and then tell someone I noticed it. I've already started grumbling and complaining about this person or about this circumstance. Then you work together to turn that from faithless, impatient complaining to faith-filled praying. How can I take this ungodly complaining about this situation, this lack of patience, and how can I turn it to a psalm, a song of faith, trusting in God to work in this circumstance, to work in that person's life? Resist the urge, okay, to point out someone's grumbling and complaining. Let them come to see it themselves. But then work together to take from that a lack of faith, heart attitude to an expression of faith and hope in God. You are at work in them. 
You're always at work in them. Jesus, thank you so much that this is who you are. You haven't given up on us. You're not about to start, which means you haven't given up on others in our life who are still alive and still need to know you and still need to come to loving you and trusting you and enjoying you. And so help us to see others and help us to see life with your perspective. Fill our hearts with faith and hope and trust that would allow us to be patient, so patient that we don't even grumble and complain. Even in the hard things, we just continue to express faith and hope and trust in you. We lament, we're sad, sure, but it always leads to faith and hope and trust in you. Help us to be that people so that the reality of Jesus can be seen in us and through us to our neighbors, our coworkers, even this week, our families that we're gathering with. They can see the reality of Jesus and be transformed by the gospel as well. Do all this because you love us and you love others that you sent us to reach. Make it happen for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.